Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. Another bus carrying illegal immigrants from Texas arrived this morning at the U.S. Naval Observatory, which is Vice President Kamala Harris's D.C. residence. Today's bus is the second one this week. A non-governmental group that's been helping illegal border crossers says that the bus brought 38 people, including single adults and families. It's part of Texas Governor Greg Abbott's campaign to provide what he's described as relief to overwhelmed border communities. Texas has sent more than 8,200 illegal immigrants on about 200 buses to D.C. since last April. And the midterm elections are just a month away. One key issue on many voters' minds this year will be illegal immigration. We had a chance to sit down with E.J. Antoni, research fellow at the Heritage Foundation, to discuss the impact of illegal immigration both on the midterms and on the U.S. economy. Here's a look. E.J. Antoni, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. E.J., right now uh, we have the midterm elections coming up. Um, a lot of talk about illegal immigration. What are some of the main points that uh, you think are, are pressing right now? Well, I think one of the key things to, to look at is in terms of what is going on in our, in our immigration system. What is wrong with it right now? What, what, what the detrimental effects are that, that stem from that? A lot of it goes back to the fact that we don't have a meritocracy when it comes to immigration. I mean, we don't have meritocracy when it comes to a lot of things anymore, but particularly when it comes to immigration. Uh, we don't, we're no longer concerned about bringing the best and the brightest here. And one of the reasons why we can have that, that luxury, if, if you want to call it that, is because of the welfare state. And when you have a welfare system that allows people to come to this nation and not to work and not to make their own way and to essentially leech off of the system, not that all migrants do that, but some certainly do, when you have that kind of a system in place, now merit no longer needs to factor in to your decision to come to this country. So what is the economic uh, detriment to the country with illegal immigration? Well, there, there are a few things that happen, uh, one of which is that it, it really affects the wages of Americans, but also it affects taxes. The reason for that is because it has such a drag on government expenses, and obviously those expenses need to be paid for via taxes. Uh, when you, Again, when you have a welfare system that, that not only allows for these immigrants to be leeches on the system, but actually encourages it, right? That, that adds a tremendous cost. And just to illustrate that point, if you go back to the 96 welfare reform, which was signed by a Democrat, Bill Clinton, uh, half of the savings from that legislation came from the exclusion of migrants, and those were legal migrants, but the exclusion of migrants from the welfare state. Another part of the coin, it's, it's something that's really not talked about even by Republicans, is the uh, term economic migrants. Could you explain that and give us your thoughts on, on this? Certainly. I mean, like, like most euphemisms today, though, this one isn't re really grounded in, in, in much reality. Uh, obviously, people can have a better life here than in just about anywhere else in the world, whether you work or not. 
right? I mean, if, if you're willing to work, you can make your way in America. That is still true to a lesser extent than, than it used to be years ago, but, but it's still true. Uh, however, if you choose not to work, you can also make a pretty comfortable living here in America. There's really not even a problem of, of income inequality in our country. The problem is income equality. And what I mean by that is that if you look at, for example, people in the lowest income quintile, who do not work at all, family of four, let's say, who are on all kinds of government assistance, they have roughly the same disposable income as that same family of four in the middle income quintile. In other words, why is the average man working? Why would the common man break his back to, to provide for his family when the government would do it for free? And that, that provides a tremendous disincentive for people not to work. So again, if you're going to come to this country to get a better life for yourself, I think that's wonderful. But if you're going to do it on the taxpayer's dime, I don't think that's wonderful at all. Unfortunately, though, they have that option. If it's just as simple of a policy change or a flip of a switch, um, why do you think Democrats the, or the current administration is not willing to do something? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I suppose the pithy answer is you, you just have to ask them. But if if I could, you know, speculate for a moment, uh, I think it has a lot to do with with voting. I think they believe that they are engineering a permanent voting base by creating a permanent class of people that are essentially beholden to them for their support. Because once you get on to that that very addictive regimen of welfare, it's incredibly difficult to ever break free. E.J. Antoni, thank you. Thank you for having me. Former NFL star Herschel Walker has recently faced some political turmoil over abortion and has run for U.S. Senate in Georgia. Here to assess someone who understands the abortion issue well from the male perspective, he actually wrote a book called Almost Daddy, Greg Mayo. Greg Mayo, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. Greg Herschel Walker, a Republican candidate for Senate in the state of Georgia, coming under fire right now for allegedly paying for an ex-girlfriend's abortion. Uh, some are overlooking that alleged action, stating that it's his actual stance that matters. Others saying that it's hypocritical. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, when I first heard about it, my first thought was, look, one in four men by the time they're 45 in this country will have experienced an abortion. So the fact that he had one maybe doesn't surprise me at all. And if he did, then I think he deserves forgiveness and he needs to be shown a pathway to healing from the greed from the loss of a child. Um, it, but the fact that he may or may not have had an abortion and it came up, I guess it really didn't bother me all that much. And by the way, Steve, we know that this data, these statistics aren't really that different inside or outside the church. So. It wasn't a surprise to me. Uh, I just hope he finds the healing he needs. Greg, while we're on the issue of abortion, uh, a lot of people think this is just a woman's issue, but uh, you say it also affects men. Um, explain. Uh, abortion affects men profoundly. Uh, number one, they're losing a child as well. They have a child that, that dies, the same as a miscarriage or a stillbirth. And what we're finding out is that just as many men were against the abortion, fought against the abortion, as there were that either didn't know about it until after the fact or that were either complicit or pushed for it. So as a father, and you're a father the moment the child's conceived, right, it, just as a mother is, 
uh, parent at that moment. When you lose a child to abortion, there is pain and there is healing and a process that needs to be gone through. And for years, men's voices have been silent. Uh, they've been told they didn't have a place in the conversation or a seat at the table, if you will, which is why I wrote the book I did and why I go around and talk about it to groups of people now. Greg, do you see or have you seen men that are pro-abortion who may have even encouraged their significant others to have one or went along with one uh, regret it and have a turnaround on the issue? And how do you think such people should be viewed? Yeah, so uh, with love and forgiveness, like anybody that makes a mistake, first of all, and yeah, I see it all the time. So in an unplanned pregnancy situation, there's that immediate heightened anxiety, confusion, fear. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? What am I doing? And a lot of times men report right after the abortion feeling relief, uh, crisis averted, right? It's not until sometime later and oftentimes years, Steve, when men get in touch with the fact that, hey, you know what? I lost a child and I was a part of that, whether I didn't stop it or I pushed for it or whatever. So when that pain comes up, if they've been told this whole time that that pain's not real, they have nowhere to go with it. And it often manifests, by the way, in very unhealthy ways. Really interesting points there. Um, just switching gears, going back to uh, uh, Herschel Walker, uh, his son, uh, was just praising his father on national TV a few short months ago. And uh, now because of the blood sport of politics, he's turned on his father. Uh, why do you think that is? It could be a myriad reasons. Look, I raised four sons and I wasn't a perfect dad. Um, so I don't know if, if Christian has some unresolved issues uh, that he hasn't tackled yet. I don't know if, we know that abortion affects other people, right? Not just the mom and the dad and the baby. So maybe when the abortion thing came out, if it's true, maybe that's having an impact on Christian. Maybe he's looking at it and saying, hey, my dad's supposed to be a Christian like me. Um, he's supposed to be pro-life like me. Now I find out he paid for an abortion. That can cause a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. And, and I think that that has a lot to do with um, his turning at this point on his father. I read some of the tweets and that doesn't sound like somebody who's in a calm, logical place. That sounds like somebody who is very upset and very emotional right now. Greg Mayo, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Steve. Multiple lawsuits are in the works since the FBI's raid on former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. One of them is from Judicial Watch against the Biden administration's Justice Department. Joining us to discuss, we have President of Judicial Watch, Tom Fitton. Tom Fitton, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. You're welcome. Tom, Judicial Watch filed a couple of notable lawsuits, uh, one for records on the Biden raid on, uh, or the DOJ raid on, on Mar-a-Lago. Could you tell us about this and are there any updates? Well, you know, the update is that, you know, these uh, administration, uh, excuse me, these agencies that are so interested in transparency and getting these records to the American people don't want to tell the American people about what they were doing. Uh, we've sued the Justice Department and the FBI for records about the raid, for communications, for instance, with the White House about the raid. You know, and separately, we've sued uh, the National Archives that was forced to release records finally to us this week about the raid. And this was uh, over records they've been hiding for months from the American people. Uh, so for, uh, you know, a, an investigation that's about getting records about what the government's up to, which is presumably or 
what they're saying, the reason they were interested in getting these records from Trump. I think it's more than ironic that uh, they're refusing to turn over records to the American people as the law requires about the basis for their, uh, in my view, harassment of Trump. Judicial Watch has also sued the California Secretary of State for prompting YouTube to censor key election integrity videos just before 2020, um, the election. Uh, tell us about this suit. You know, that's a disturbing uh, revelation that we uncovered that the California Secretary of State just, uh, I think it was September 2020, you know, flagged a, a Judicial Watch YouTube video about election integrity and about a lawsuit in California or lawsuits in California related to election integrity. And YouTube jumped immediately through their hoop and censored uh, Judicial Watch's video and took it down. It remains down to this day. And, you know, when the government gets involved in censoring citizens, that raises First Amendment concerns. And so that's why we filed this federal civil rights lawsuit against uh, the California Secretary of State over its um, effort to monitor and then censor uh, Judicial Watch's material about the election just before the election. So talk about election interference. There you got evidence of it. Tom, since 2020, obviously, uh, big tech has been blatantly censoring content they deem uh, harmful or, quote, misleading. Um, with this continuing to happen, what does this mean for the future of freedom of speech, in your opinion? Well, it remains under attack. I'm calling it the era of the Great Suppression, where uh, citizens are being mass censored and uh, on topic after topic after topic. The left sees opportunities here. But on the other hand, there's been significant pushback. Obviously, we've got this new lawsuit in court. States have passed laws to prohibit big tech companies from censoring individuals and citizens based on politics. Uh, Congress is going to be very much interested in this. And I think the courts are going to be less deferential to big tech uh, when they, in my view, are uh, caught with their thumb on the scales on behalf of a political party or an ideological movement, as opposed to just uh, monitoring content in a, a neutral way that prevents, for instance, violence or things like that from being promoted, as opposed to critiques of COVID policy or concerns about election integrity. That's no fair basis to censor people. Tom, before I let you go, I just want to get your thoughts on Elon Musk's, uh, you know, inevitable takeover of Twitter. Um, will this open the door or somehow put pressure on big tech companies as truth is allowed to spread and go viral, do you think? What are your thoughts? Well, in many ways, it's going to be up to Elon Musk to put the pressure on because he's going to be the uh, owner, or at least it looks like that may be the case. Who knows what will happen? Uh, but it's a big opportunity to, uh, you know, stake a flag on behalf of the First Amendment by Elon Musk. Uh, and I'm hoping he exposes what Twitter's been up to. I mean, it's bad enough when the companies are doing this censorship uh, in a way that suppresses uh, free speech. Uh, but when they're involved with the government, which is what we're seeing increasing signs of, uh, that's where the true scandal is. And uh, to a degree, he can expose that and oppose it. Uh, Americans will be better off. Judicial Watch is Tom Fitton. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.